Welcome to another episode of Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. This is another episode in my Teaching From Home podcast series, a series dedicated to supporting teachers who are working from home amidst the COVID-19 outbreak of 2020. The Teaching From Home podcast series is kindly supported by Tez Resources. Tez Resources have created a home learning collection full of hand-picked free resources for teachers to use with children who are learning at home or to share with parents. Please search online for Tez Home Learning to find the collection and see how Tez can help you. You can also find this collection through the Tez Coronavirus Support Hub at tez.com forward slash coronavirus. And there'll be a link to those resources in the show notes. Now, my aim during this Teaching From Home podcast series is that you will hear from a wide variety of teachers sharing a wide variety of experiences. There'll be technology-focused episodes, just how does remote teaching work, but also there'll be episodes focused on the practicalities of coping with setting students' appropriate work whilst also having to look after your own children at home or deal with other family responsibilities. And today's episode digs very deep into that. There are also other issues to consider, such as safeguarding, differentiation, teacher mindset, and student mindset, and all of those will crop up as the series progresses. We'll hear from maths teachers, but we'll also hear from teachers of other subjects, as we do today. Then there'll be primary school teachers, there'll be teachers from the UK, and there'll be teachers from overseas. Hopefully, something for everyone. I've no idea how long this series will go on for, but so long as people keep listening and hopefully finding it useful, I shall continue. This time around, I spoke to Adam Boxer, an author, blogger, and head of science at the Totteridge Academy in London. Now, I am a huge fan of Adam's writing, and I've been wanting to get him on the show for ages. And when I read his tweets about how he was finding balancing schoolwork amidst the school closures, alongside the responsibilities as a father and the husband of an NHS worker, together with his views on cognitive science, I thought this was an ideal opportunity to chat to him on the podcast. We also ventured into discussing how interviews, school interviews for jobs might work in this new environment. And I absolutely love Adam's mantra of helping his students stay safe and sane. Now, just two quick things before we start. Adam was concerned after the conversation that he may come across as lazy, as he is essentially looking after his child full time during the day and only starting schoolwork at 4pm. I reassured Adam that this could not be further from the truth, and indeed I believe how Adam makes this work will provide both comfort and ideas for others in similar situations. And then a quick one from me. Towards the end of this conversation, I explain how I am finding it incredibly hard looking after my little boy Isaac whilst my wife works. She's also um, a worker for the NHS. Um, I'm usually away a couple of nights a week doing talks, so me being at home all day is a big shift for everybody. Um, I feel like a bit of a failure of a father for finding it so difficult, and I'm racked with guilt for wanting to be spending my time doing work like these podcasts, my Beat the Nation videos, etc. In other words, stuff I'm a little bit better at. Now, I've not talked to anyone about this before, and it it just came rolling out my mouth during the conversation with Adam, and I'm not sure I articulated it carefully enough. 
So for the record, in case there are any doubts, I absolutely love my son to bits and I am so, so, so lucky in so many respects. And I know that I'll look back on this extra time I've got to spend with him and my wife as so special. I'm just finding it hard, that's all. I hope that makes sense and you don't think too bad of me. Okay, let's get cracking. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. It is packed full of gold nuggets. And as ever, please stay safe. Okay, so it is my great pleasure to welcome Adam Boxer to the podcast, and we'll kickstart as we always do, just with a quick introduction, Adam. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your school, please. Uh, hi, Craig. Um, I'm the head of science at the Totteridge Academy, uh, where I started in September this year. Um, it's a very interesting school. We're a turnaround school, um, so... Uh, for a long time, the school was, you know, struggling, finding things a bit difficult. And then in the last few years, um, you know, and everyone was obviously trying really hard. It was just kind of stuck. Um, but a few years ago, it got taken over by a new head teacher, Chris Fairburn, uh, who's, you know, massively improved results, totally changed culture, atmosphere. Um, so our progress rate last year was like 0.6 up from uh, about minus point two or something wow that's good yeah i mean the uh actually for your information the maths department um are last year in last year's progress eight the top maths department in the country was michaela uh underneath them were a couple of the orthodox jewish schools menorah and yesolia torah there was the tawhidil islam schools wembley high as ever and in at number six was the totteridge academy progress eight 1.5 maths department uh, 1.6 wow yeah which is with a cohort that they only had for two years, right? So they only kind of, uh, those teachers who took those kids through had only been teaching them for two years. So that is a pretty remarkable achievement. And essentially, we're trying to replicate that all over the school. Um, and I'm desperately trying to do that in science as well. We've got a, quite a long way to go. Um, but that's sort of where we are. Uh, in outside of school, uh, I mess around on the internet quite a bit. I write some blogs every so often. Um, I do some things for research ed now and again. Uh, and also, the I think the most important thing I've done is the CogSciSci network, which is a grassroots collective of teachers. There's, I think, about 16 or 1,700 of us now. Uh, we have a website. We do blogs. We do free CPD. We do all sorts of fun things. Uh, and it's just a very cool thing that I'm honoured and privileged to be involved with. That's fantastic. And, and you know what? I'm going to hit you with a fact here, Adam, and you, you, you won't be aware of this because the episode hasn't come out yet. But I interviewed uh, Carl Hendrick and Paul Kirshner about their new book. And I do a thing yep. at the end of the podcast asking for a big three. Uh, and Paul Kirshner, straight on number one, his number one recommended website or blog post for people to check out is A Chemical Orthodoxy by none other than Adam Boxer. And he described oh. himself as an Adam Boxer fanboy. <laughs> That's very kind of him. Uh, uh, right back at him. Uh, look, without without Paul, uh, none of this would exist. Uh, and I'm saying none of this, and I'm sort of gesturing at my desk in my loft, which you obviously can't see. But like, you know, without the you know, 2006, why minimal guidance during instruction doesn't work. I definitely 100% would not be where I am. Uh, so I'm massively, massively indebted to him. 
Uh, and he's just, uh, he's a great guy. Uh, he's got an excellent recipe for chicken soup, by the way. It takes about three days, but it's worth asking him about it sometime. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, um, I'm seeing this, Adam, as a kind of a bit of a teaser for the listening public for your full appearance on the show at some point in the future, where we're going to dig deep into cognitive science and how you plan lessons and all that kind of thing. But for right. today, we're focusing on this situation that we all find ourselves in, having to teach from home, setting work, live lessons, well, whatever we're doing. So to dig into what, how you're approaching this, let me start by asking you about the structure of your day. So and we're, we're recording this in, in Easter holidays, but if it was a, a day in term time, um, what would your day at home look like and how does it fit in with your family responsibilities? OK, so I have a three year old daughter. She turned three in March um, and my wife is a NHS worker. She's a dietitian. So even though she's not technically like Corona frontline, uh, it's part of her job to keep people out of hospitals. Um, so she, we prioritized her work. So we wake up in the morning um, because of the three-year-olds coming into our room. Um, yeah, she's quite persistent. No, go away. It's too early. No, it's not. Oh, okay, fine. It's not. Uh, so she wakes us up about, I don't know, 20 past, half past six, something like that. I finally crawl out of bed, uh, you know, <laughs> depending on her mood. Sometimes I tell her to go away and play and she will. Uh, other days we're downstairs about three seconds later. Um, we all kind of have breakfast together, which is really nice. It's kind of important for us to uh, maintain some sort of nice family time together. Uh, eight o'clock, my wife Shifra goes up to start working and I look after Sophia all day. Um, so we, I'm not particular. I don't think I'm particularly good at it. Uh, like I love her to pieces, but I'm not designed to be looking after three-year-olds the whole time. It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's difficult. Um, and we do a lot of like arts and crafts and coloring and painting and play there. And I've been trying to get her out into the garden with me. Uh, and then there are a couple of hours in the day where I'll neglect her to get on with some stuff. So I say neglect. Like she'll watch TV, like Ben and Holly. Uh, <laughs> She loves Ben and Holly. So I think normally like about 11 o'clock. So I'll try and do some exercise and she'll sit and watch some telly. And then between three and four, I'll sort of pop her in front of TV. And, no, sorry, between two and three, I'll pop her, pop her in front of the TV and I'll do some work. Uh, then at four o'clock, my wife finishes work. She works eight till four. And then she comes down and starts looking after Sophia. And I go upstairs and start working um, as much as I can. So... I've been doing videos for some of my students, uh, head of departments. I need to do emails and kind of coordinating and occasionally triaging if kids have problems. Um, last week was pretty busy because we did we did job interviews as well all over Skype. Um, and, you know, that's that kind of, you know, that stuff takes a long time. You need to prepare each interview is over half an hour. Uh, sorry, then the, each candidate has two interviews. You know, the, the time stacks up in a big way. Um, you know, so I'm working from four, I'll go downstairs to help get her to bed, you know, dinner, and then try and come upstairs about eight, 8.30 and do some more work from then. But like by that time, I'm, I'm pretty knackered yes. and my brain has turned to jelly. So it's, it's really difficult. Um, and, and I'm super aware of the fact that <clears throat> all things are relative and compared to some other people, we have it actually pretty easy. You know, I have an employer who is incredibly supportive, understanding and responsible. We have a house with a garden. Uh, we have a street that we can go and walk on where there are trees and stuff. And, you know, we, we are all things can, and we're both still employed as well, which mm. is, you know, fantastic. And we're really lucky. Um, and we have it, 
you know, we're, we're really lucky and it's still really, really hard. And I guess, you know, the, mo- the most important thing for me, I think right now is that if you're going online and you're seeing teachers who are being unbelievably productive and you're know, doing research ed all of Saturday and watching 28 talks before breakfast <laughs> and finishing books and stuff like that. And you're really, really struggling to make ends meet like you are not alone. It's it's really hard. Um, and I don't think uh, we do ourselves any service by pretending at any point that it's not really, really difficult. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really important message, Adam. And that's one of the reasons I wanted you on this show, because we swapped a few messages. And I got the sense that you weren't one of these who were doing these live lessons um, all the time in front of the computer all day and so on and so forth. And I think the more I speak to teachers, that seems to be the, the majority position that the teachers are in. And it's about how we can make that work and, and get the most out of that. So I, I want to definitely dig into the teaching. But before before I do that, just two things you mentioned there strike me as worth pursuing a little bit. And um, interviews is a really interesting one, because, again, we're at that time of the year where it's, it's kind of interview crazy uh, just before Easter and. And, and after Easter and no no one knows how long this thing's going to go on for but assuming it goes on for a month two months lots of schools are going to find themselves in this position of having to do these remote interviews so can, can you just talk us through that Adam how did you get around the not being able to see candidates teach part or, or is that not part of the interview process anyway for you oh no it definitely is part I mean look the, I'm going to try and blog about this because I think it will help people uh, if I manage to grab 15 minutes at some <laughs> point um, because I think we're talking a lot about um, everyone's talking about, oh my God, what's going to happen in September? Like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to keep kids behind a year, catch up six months of work? What are we going to do when a, in my opinion, a bigger problem is the mobility of teachers. So imagine you're a teacher and you're in a job where you're not particularly happy. You're planning on leaving, you're planning on moving. And because of this thing, you can't leave. Well, that, that gives you that gives you three choices, right? It either gives you you can leave, but you're worried that you wouldn't be able to find anywhere. Right. So either you can like try and find somewhere and just go for it and see what happens. Or you can just say, screw it. I'm done with this profession. Or you can try and hang on in the job which you don't enjoy, which is not good for anyone. Um, and you can end up leaving anyway. And you just have another year of misery or worse, you end up you know, handing in your notice before January or something like that, which is, you know, if people need to do it. They need to do it. That's fine. Right. You should never if a person needs to leave a school, they should hand in their notice. But it makes things really difficult for schools if they're going to have high market volatility in like at the end of the first term. And I think we're heading into you know, if you think, I wonder I wonder how many teachers change jobs every year and. Hopefully, we'd assume most of them change jobs for good reason. And if those reasons get taken away, that that will have that will have kind of uh, not that not the reasons being taken away. The reasons are still there. The ability to move gets taken away. That could have some serious ramifications uh, on our schools. So that is something that I think as a profession, we've not really thought about yet. And that's fair enough because we've got other things on our mind. But we do need to think about it. We need to think about it soon because essentially we've got, what, six weeks before the May half term? And that's that's deadline day. So people need to think about it. Sorry, rant over. Uh, no, you... it's um, just on that, Adam. I'd not yeah. considered that at all. You're, you're absolutely right. And you're right. It's what it's kind of the second wave of things that people will start thinking about once they've got their head around 
the fact that we're teaching from home and sorting kids out and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's a really important point. But yeah, yeah, go on. Talk me through this this interview process. How, how on earth did you make that work? Okay, so what we normally do is we do a lesson, um, half a lesson. We ask them to produce some kind of lesson plan. So we send the performer, we say you can do whatever you like. So when I interviewed at the Tartridge Academy, I literally just had some notes on a piece of paper, um, not even some notes. It was just an explanation of how this lesson fitted to what comes before and what comes after. Um, and then we do the lesson and then there'd be uh, feedback with the head of teaching and learning, who's the maths guy. Uh, and he's you know, part of what's driven the maths performance. Uh, he's amazing. You know, teaching and learning is unbelievable. Um, and with the head of department. So and in that you get feedback on your lesson. And the idea of that is to be able not just to figure out how kind of deeply a person thinks about the way they're planning, but also can they reflect and can they take on feedback from people who are sort of relative strangers, but ultimately are going to be the people you're going to be taking feedback from from the 1st of September next year. Mm. And then after that, there's an interview with the head and um, the head of department, which is more like, you know, tell us about yourself. Why do you want to work here? That kind of thing. So the second one is easy to do. That second interview is, is easy. You just do that over Skype. It's not a problem. Um, the first one is what's harder. So what uh, Thanos, the head of teaching and learning, decided was that he wanted to ask people to do a detailed lesson plan because what he wanted to know is that even if you can't see what they're like in a class, he can get under their kind of get inside their head when they're thinking about learning and they're thinking about what they're going to be doing in a class. Um, so we said, you know, this is what we want you to teach about. We'd like a really detailed uh, lesson plan, including like the questions that you might ask and why um, in the lesson. And then we did the interview, which was based on that lesson plan. And we said, look, we can't watch your lesson, obviously. But for example, it says here you check for understanding about X or Y. OK, which questions exactly would you ask? Uh, and then moving on. So you're, you say you're going to explain Z. Could you explain that to us, please? Uh, and then later on, say, right, you've given out this worksheet. It's got six questions. Uh, which question is the hardest? Uh, why is that question in the place where it is? And why do you think it's the hardest? That kind of thing. Um, and through that, then you can sort of get an idea of how they're thinking about learning. We also did give feedback. So, for example, I'm not saying this is what happened in our interviews. But if someone uh, gave a worksheet that I thought wasn't well sequenced, I would say, look, question four here is actually harder than question six for this reason, for that reason, for the other reason. And in my opinion, it should have come after that. What do you think? And then see how they respond uh, or start it more open and say, you know, tell me about the order of the questioning. And then once they said, say, you know, I'm not so sure, like doesn't four look a bit harder than six. So depending on how the interview is going uh, and the particular style of the interviewer, you're going to try and uh, deliver feedback and see how they respond to that. So that's what we did. Um, and yeah. And just so I can get my head around this, Adam. So sorry. Sorry if I miss this. They oh. they submitted this in advance, did they? Yeah, they sent, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. They sent it to us by email the night before. I see. And and how, how did it work? Did you did you get a sense that you got the best candidate out of this? And you, you was there anything lacking from from doing it in a, in a live teaching scenario? Well, for sure, because you can't actually see them teaching. Um but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we could learn about from them. Uh, is it a risk? Yeah, of course. I mean, to be honest, I think that 
even if you see someone teach for 20 minutes and then give them a job, there's mm. still a risk, obviously. Um, I mean, like, you know, I don't think that's co- that's going to be controversial to anybody. And there is, you know, a lot of debate to be had about the way that we interview people. Um, I know that David Didow has written quite a lot about this. Um, look, I, you know, I'm, I, I can't go into it in too much detail, but I'm incredibly optimistic about the outcome of our interview day. Oh, wow. Fantastic. And again, Adam, that'll be super useful for people to hear because, yeah, this will be something that's coming upon the horizon after the Easter holidays for, for many schools. So that that's fantastic. That And if and when you do write about it, um, I'll put a link to that in, in the show notes. Brilliant. And the other thing I wanted to ask you before we dive into the teaching side of things is you obviously you're head of department. Um, can you just talk us through what, what's some of the work you're having to do as, as head of department um, in this time? Specifically, what, what's that looking like? Um, as in aside from what the kids are doing? Or yes, it, yes. So, so you know, the stuff that's aside from what the kids are doing is thinking about next year. Um, we're, you know, our sixth form is opening in September, right? So we don't have any sixth form at the moment. Oh, wow. We're opening in September. So all of that's got to get planned. So I'm trying to, for example, run up a budget to requisition all the stuff that you need for a science department at sixth form, which is a lot of stuff. Uh, and I'm trying to consult with my team about, you know, do we need this? How many sets of this do we really need? Can we do this a different way? Can we try and cut and save here? Can we cut and save there? That kind of thing. So that's one example of the type of stuff that we're doing. And then there's also sort of ongoing curriculum planning that um, we've been working on. And there's stuff that that if we could get in order before September would be massively beneficial to us. This year has felt a lot like I'm trying to get my legs under me. I'm fighting a lot of fires. I'm responding and I'm being reactive and I'd really like, uh, you know, to be proactive. And this whole year has been about trying to kind of deal with stuff now, but also do stuff that's going to help us in the future. So all of that is still kind of ongoing. Got it. Got it. Well, let's dive in now into what what the kids are doing then, Adam. So um, first question is, in terms of the content, before we get on to how you're actually delivering or teaching or assessing that content, um, have you changed the order of what you were going to be teaching in any way? Or are you just running with the scheme of work? Uh, We've definitely changed because we decided at the beginning we didn't want to teach new material um, for the majority of our students. Um, The logic behind that was you know, so I listened to Joe Morgan's podcast with you and everything she said was 100 percent our thinking as well, that we were worried not everyone would have a device, not everyone would uh, even people who do have a, have a device. You know, it's really difficult to just off your own bat suddenly just decide you're going to yeah work all day at home where it's full of distractions. Uh, we didn't know if our kids would be a lot of our kids are stuff like young carers, you know, that they might be the ones who are going out to have the, to do the shopping you know, what if someone at home gets ill? What if they get ill? So it's there are just way too many unknowns for it to be reasonable to say first day back in September. OK, guys, so there's all of this stuff that you learnt. Brilliant. <laughs> We're going to move forwards as if you've learnt it. You know, it's, it's hard enough getting them to learn when they're in front of you, let alone when they're at home. I mean, you know, if any, I used to think that learning was an easy business. You'd go in, you'd do your three-part lesson, you'd have your mini plenaries, they'd put their thumbs up at the end of the class, and bing, bang, bosh, <laughs> look at that, learning, progress, hurrah, and then the next lesson you move on to the next topic. But, you know, I think part of my, my maturing um, as a teacher has been a realisation that, that, that learning is, is Sisyphean, and you're, fight, you're fighting against nature, right? It is natural to forget stuff, and it is natural to unremember the things that you have learnt. Um, and 
that means that, you know, it makes you more frustrated as a teacher because the whole way, you know, I'm, you know, when I was first teaching, I'd teach something and never revisit it until the exam. And now I'm trying to constantly go back to it and constantly go back to it. And because I'm spending so much of my lesson going back over old material, there's a real feeling of frustration because a lot of that by nature is going to be forgotten. And part of why I'm going over it now is to stop it being forgotten and to strengthen the memory traces and all of that stuff. Um, But that's so hard to do when the kids are right in front of you and you're trying to sort of navigate that ship. Uh, it's totally implausible to be able for the kids to just pick up new material when they're at home. So, you know, we, we made the strategic decision that that was not the route we were going to take, um, which obviously means your curriculum has to change. Uh, because if you did units one, two and three up until Easter, you can't just decide, well, now I'm going to do unit four because, well, you can do unit four all you like, but none of them are going to learn unit four. <laughs> so you need to think in slightly different uh, direction. Uh, sorry, when I say none of them, like that, that's an exaggeration. You know, there are going to be kids who who could do it, who could hack it, uh, and parents who can support them through that and the like. But they're not going to be in the majority. So you need to think about how you're going to pitch to the bulk of your students. You know, they might be in the majority in a, in a private school. I've got a couple of friends who teach us in private schools. They said they're doing their Zoom lessons. They have 100% attendance. So one kid even asked if, if she could go to the toilet in the middle of the lesson, <laughs> right? I, but I mean, the idea of, of my kids doing that, and, you know, if, if I think about some of my, some of my students, like the battles I've had with them this year, just t- trying desperately... To, to trust me and to learn and to get on with stuff and to do the grunt labor and standing over them and cajoling and pushing and, and punishing when necessary. <laughs> and all of that's just completely gone. And I'm expecting them to just be these brilliant self-led 21st century citizens of the world who are going to be able to conquer the most demanding material in the whole of secondary science by themselves. Yeah, OK, fine. It's just not plausible. It's fascinating, this Adam, and I'm yeah. Well, before I d- dig even deeper, because I'm, I'm fascinated at the type of work that you're setting to to get the most out of this retrieval. Can you just clarify then? Um, are we saying a hundred percent assigning work, zero percent live teaching, or are there any um, exceptions to that? There's no live teaching. And you mentioned you were doing some videos. Um, what are they? Yeah. Are they? Uh, yeah, just talk us through those, if that's all right. so. So the, so first off, there's a difference between what's expected and then what teachers choose to do. And um, before before we broke up, I set the benchmark of what was expected based on a large number of unknowns. Sorry, actually, going back another step. So at, at TTA, my school, um, so Chris, the head, he's a big believer in autonomy. He wants teachers to be able to make as many decisions about their own life as possible. And that pervades everything. So we don't have like formal professional objectives that are set by somebody else. It's all we have a philosophy of what's called Kaizen, which is continual improvement. We all we all pick things that we want to do it, within departments. We have total autonomy over our teaching and learning policies. So we have a few like whole school things like use cold call but, um, within the department. We have our own teaching and learning policy. Uh, we write it as a department. The head of teaching and learning has a look at it, offers a challenge and then says, fine, you do what you want. And the same was true of this. So we were given some kind of broad principles um, and then asked to implement them in our own context. Now, before we left, 
none of us knew what our own home contexts were going to be. Uh, we didn't know how much work, you know, some of my colleagues have older kids. They didn't know how much work they were going to have to do with them. You know, one of my colleagues has a year 11, um, has a child who's in year 11. And like he was like, well, I don't I don't know how much time I'm going to be able to commit because I might be one to one tutoring my son. Yes. Uh, and that's completely fair enough. It turns out he's not because of government, but he could have been. Um, you know, one of my colleagues, she's younger, she doesn't have any kids, but both of her parents work in the NHS. So she's the one who's doing all the stuff in the house to make sure they can live a functioning life and be able to get to the front lines every day. So, you know, we, we can't predict some of that stuff. Um, so what we, basically what we said in advance was um, year seven, eight and nine are going to do stuff on Seneca. And they would we'd start with units that they had done. So things that they'd learned already from us and they could just use Seneca to review those. And then we'd set some things that given, our, you know, we, we, we assumed that we wouldn't be back in school for a long time. So we picked some units for them to do that we thought we probably wouldn't be able to get to with them anyway. So um, within science, that might be stuff like um, the rock cycle, acids and alkalis, units that we thought we wouldn't be able to get to with them if they were back in school. And we thought, you know, they can do these at home. They're not things, um, they're things that you'd revisit at GCSE when necessary, stuff like that. Um, oh, what Joe, what, so when Joe talk, spoke about, you know, eliminating things which aren't important, it's more about things which are important as being like a global citizen. But in terms of getting these kids to GCSE grades age 16, there were things that we didn't mind if they did at home by themselves rather than in school with us. Does, does that make sense? Yes, I think so. But, yes. So we set stuff like that on Seneca, but we also have the uh, retrieval roulette program, which um, for listeners who don't know what it is, it's a really simple Excel program. It's just a spreadsheet. You put in questions and answers to the spreadsheet and it spits them out in a random order. <clears throat> and we use this as a curriculum tool. So not only do the questions and answers form the curriculum, they're what people are expected to teach, but also um, as in, you don't sit in class and teach the kids the questions and answers. You teach them content, but what you expect them to remember are the questions and answers. Uh, and then the, the starter of every lesson will be a do now that's pulled from everything they've learned up until that point. And our students know how to use the program. So we've sent the program home and it's been a rolling homework all year. Um, so and our students have a special yellow exercise book, which they use to do mini quizzes. They go onto the program, they open it up, they do five, six mini quizzes a week, whatever it is. Um, and, and this program, sorry, Adam, this program, this yeah. is something you've built. Is that right? And it's and it's on yeah. Excel. Yeah. Nice. And yeah, you just again, I've, I've read a little bit about this. And again, there's a danger we'll go off on a tangent here, but I've been fascinated when, when I've read about this. Can you can you just dig a little bit deeper into what that um, roulette thing looks like, please? Yeah, sorry. Um, so, like I said, it's got it's got these questions and answers in it and you can put in questions and answers for whatever topic you like. So if you're doing uh, key stage three chemistry, you might have a question. What is an atom? That might be one question. Another question might be what is an element? But you can make them more complicated as well. So, for example, at Key Stage 4, you might have um, explain why a giant ionic lattice has a high melting and boiling point. And, you know, that's a two, three mark question at GCSE. But you'd expect students to be able to um, do pretty well at that, given the fact that um, that. Sorry, actually, I'll come back to why you'd expect them to do well at that. The. What the there's so there's different tabs in the spreadsheet. So the first tab is just your questions and answers. The second tab is just um, it just pulls up five questions from there um, in any order. So five random questions you put in where you're up to. So you say, oh, I'm up to question 150. 
and it just pulls up five questions from up until that point. And this that, is sorry, Adam. This is the teacher. The teacher can do this in class, but yeah, also yeah. the kids can use this independently. Is that, that right? Yeah, exactly. It's just an Excel program. So you you use it in class for your starter. <clears throat> sorry. So the kids come in. It's on the boards. They turn to the back of their exercise book. They write their answers, and then you review. Um, but also, yeah, you, you send it home. You do have some teething problems with kids who don't have Excel, blah, blah, blah. You can deal with that. Um, but they just load it up on their computer at home and they sit down and they do a bunch at home. Uh, the idea is to build their sort of long term retrieval, get them into good habits. The kids who take it seriously um, do really, 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 really well. And they start learning vast amounts of science off by heart. Um, and some of their some of the productivity of kids if you think about the kids who are sort of, you know, they're, they're not, they're, they're able, but they're not brilliant, um, but they work really, really hard. So what you do when you give them a program like this is you give them a tool that is significantly more powerful than anything else they're using. So the kind of kid who will sit at home for hours making flashcards or highlighting or doing some kind of poster or summarizing or just reading their notes or whatever, and they're really focused, but they're achieving nothing. Uh, so what you do is you give them this and you pull all of that focus into something which is actually going to turn them into really brilliant scientists uh, and you start to see massive, massive, massive improvements in outcomes. I'll tell you what, what's fascinating about this, Adam, as well, and this is, I think this has been a real challenge for, for teachers who found themselves in this situation is that all of a sudden they're asking their kids to do something completely different than they've done before. So whether it's all of a sudden accessing uh, Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whether it's being set some new go to some new site like poll everywhere we've heard about and all this but what what seems particularly powerful about this apart from the underlying cognitive science behind it is the fact that kids this is part of their routine anyway so it's it's not asking them to do something that's completely alien to them would, would that be fair that is absolutely fair and it's one of the guiding principles that chris our head gave us he said don't introduce anything new to them because it's just not going to work you know, if I think about my year eight, at the beginning of the year, I was trying to teach them how to use this mini quiz generator. I booked out a computer room for an entire lesson. I spent an entire lesson step by step showing them how to access this program. I then spent about three weeks, not probably even longer than that. It probably took about four or five weeks to get them into decent habits and routines. And that was with me there in front of them talking to them about it. All right, it's just, you know, I, I'm. I, you know, friends who have just started using Teams or Zoom or whatever, and just the number of issues they're having, it's just, and it's so predictable. You know, anyone who's ever booked an IT room, oh, so I don't know what my login is. Right, okay, well, <laughs> we're now 40 minutes into the lesson, right? What what have you been doing? Oh, just uh, been trying to put it in. <laughs> you know, if that's what they're like in school, where they've got teachers... And you're standing right there watching them, trying to kick and cajole them into doing this stuff. And you're still coming up against all of these problems. You know, it's it's just inevitable that you're going to have bigger ones uh, at home. So, uh, yeah, it, I, I'm sure that eventually by hook and by crook, schools that have decided to implement all of this stuff will get it working. And I'm sure that you'll probably get told a better picture than exists in reality. But our philosophy was definitely to not introduce anything new so within science they're doing the mini quiz in seneca which is stuff that they're used to doing within maths they're doing hegarty and times table rock stars within mfl they're doing um vocab express all the stuff that they've been doing they'll 
you know, there might be other things involved as well. Whatever those departments do is up to them. They have autonomy. But for us in the science department, we were happy with that as a baseline. What so, does uh, what, yeah. what does Seneca look like, Adam? Um, Seneca is just is a is an online learning platform. Um, I was pretty skeptical of Seneca when it started because I've seen hundreds of these things come and go. Uh, then they they published this article in Impact, the peer-reviewed journal of the Carter, Char- Carter, the Chartered College of Teaching, um, basically comparing kids who used Seneca to kids who used BBC Bite Size and something else I can't remember. Uh, and they saw massive improvements for using using Seneca. And I raised my eyebrow as I always do. But their, their experimental design was solid. It was really good. They had, you know, proper randomization. They had a large sample size, uh, proper controls. It was very, very strong. Basically, what Seneca is, it's, it's an on, it's, uh, it's a teaching platform. So it's got short videos and sentences and paragraphs and pictures and diagrams and stuff like that. And it intersperses those with questions. Um, so straight after learning something new, it'll ask you a couple of questions on it. They'll, well, they'll always be things that a computer can mark for you. So it might be a drag and drop. It might be a one word answer, that kind of thing. Um, and basically, um, you can set work for your students. So you can set an entire unit for them to do and you can watch their progress and all the stuff you can do with all the other programs as well. Uh, it's got uh, a little memory function as well, which essentially if a kid logs on and does a unit on day one, and then logs back in in day six, it'll tell them that they've forgotten half of that unit or whatever, and it shows them in a little blue ring that, they've, that they're forgetting stuff. So, you know, it's pretty clever. It's pretty smart. Um, is it like, perfect? Is it better than a teacher? No. Um, but it's, but it, does, it does a good job, and it's free. So, you know. Oh, wow. And, and how, how would kids have been using that before schools closed, Adam? Would that have been homework? Yeah. So often it will be set as a homework. Um you know so if you just finished a unit we've used it for bits and pieces but um we in in science we'd only used it for bits and pieces but they'd used it a lot in other subjects so it was easy for us to just say right well now do the science units yes um so even though we hadn't used it extensively because of various you know there are all sorts of problems with key stage three science and seneca despite being a very good platform is not immune to those issues we can discuss those another time um but you know essentially it meant we hadn't used it all that much uh we'd used it for bits and pieces but the kids broadly knew how to use it so it wasn't a new technology for them i see i see so if if i've got my head around this right we've got in science kids are mainly using seneca and they're also using the retrieval roulette in key stage three yeah in key stage three um what what's different in key stage four then before i ask my next question um this is complicated uh, <laughs> so uh i mean year 11 you know is just a is just a write-off now year 11 now is about um deciding how we're going to target the kids who are going to do a levels and support them uh but year 10 is is complicated because we have lots of different classes different abilities but but similar uh similar so so retrieval roulette and seneca um that was the baseline expectations expectation now individual teachers are then doing extra so for example i teach the triple class um i have gone online and made youtube videos for them so that they can learn content they are also it's a very able group so i have actually given them a bit of new content and i'm going to see how that goes some of the content which most of the content that we covered is stuff that they've done already 
I've done one unit for them, which is new, new stuff. And I'm, they're completing that as we speak. Well, probably not. They're probably sunning themselves and sipping banana daiquiris in the garden at the moment. Um, is that what people drink these days? I, I think so, yeah. Think so. Tick, doing tick, top, top, tick, like, tick, top tips, top, whatever it is. Tick top. Um, yeah, tick top. That's the one. Got there eventually. Um, but anyway, when they are doing their work stuff, that's what they'll be doing. And I'm thinking about some way to set them an assessment after Easter. It will probably be something super simple uh, with either one word answers uh, or calculations so I can get something to market for me or I can market really easily from home. And what's what's driven that decision, Adam? Is that is that a fear of the fact that these kids in just over a year's time are going to need to sit at GCSE and you're not you're worried you're not going to get through the new content? Or is it that you feel that regardless of that, that this seems like the right thing to do for kids of that age or that achievement level? Yeah, it's a bit of both. You know, the fear extends to all classes, but you have to be realistic with your expectations. So in this in, you know, in this triple class, even though it's a triple set, it is mixed ability. So I've got kids who are, you know, for what it's worth, targeted fives. And I've got kids who are targeted nines. Um, so, you know, there's still there's still four grades worth of ability across that. And there are some students who really want to just sit down and crack on with work. And they've bossed all the retrieval stuff I've asked them to do. It's only reasonable then to give them stuff to really sink their teeth into to try and help grow them as scientists. I will then come September have to actually figure out how much stuff they do know. Yes. Um, and and respond accordingly. But that's that's, you know, something, a decision I am happy to make, which goes above the expectation, which I would set of myself or anyone else. Uh, that's that's the, that's the important bit that it's about, um, you know, we have done a baseline for these kids. I'm going beyond the baseline because I think it it might work with these guys with our other classes. So like I teach a different year 10 class like there's no chance uh, it's just it would it would not be a good use of their time to sit there trying to figure out what i'm talking about from a video got it got it um the other thing i'm interested in with this adam is um how are you going about kind of scheduling this work and um, we, we've we've spoke about the the challenges the realities that the fact that kids you can't guarantee when they're going to get access to a computer when they're going to be online and so on and so forth but i guess the flip side of it is if you just say right here's a load of content and you've got four weeks to do it so you do it you choose when to do it it potentially becomes unmanageable overwhelming for students and so on how, how are you balancing the two when are you suggesting kids do this work so on um on the wednesday before we all i say broke up but before we all were kicked out of school um the senior leaders so this was in the the, the week of chaos where <laughs> where monday i think if i remember correctly was okay and then monday afternoon they came out with the new guidance which is if you know anyone who's vaguely ill you need to self-isolate for two weeks <laughs> and attendance fell off a cliff uh, both staff and students they, we took every student off timetable on the wednesday so year 11 period one year 10 period three year nine period four etc uh and two of the senior leaders did it was really funny actually they did like a whole play about one of them pretended to be a student it was a kind of like cute sticky thing that under normal circumstances i would say is lame and embarrassing but it was actually really it was actually really funny and really effective um and basically they we the heads of the department all rustled together this guidance essentially overnight 
um, which is the o- it's the only time I've actually been work- asked to work out of hours since I've started this year. Um, and they said to us, guys, we've just got to do this. And we've got to have it ready by Wednesday morning. Um, so we all pulled together. We finished up our guidance, everything. Uh, and they launched it to these year groups on the Wednesday. Um, and essentially the big plug was to get students to stick to their timetable. Mm. So they have a school day, period one, period two, and they just do that, but at home. So if period one in school, they'd be having science at five past nine. They're sitting down and doing science until five to ten, at which point they might move on to maths or English or whatever. They'll then have a break at quarter to 11 or whatever it is for 20 minutes and then do period four, period three and four, then have lunch, then period five and six, and then they're done for the day. That was the big, big push. Uh, because otherwise we felt there would, you know, absolute anarchy and chaos would reign. Yes. Uh, and there's just, you know, you know, the Silicon Valley dream of students who can dictate their own timings is, I don't think um, I'm being particularly controversial with you, certainly that's, you know, implausible. Uh, so what we wanted to, I mean, to be honest, I, I struggle to work like that. expecting my kids to just say oh you know what i've got you know 15 hours of maths to do between now and next friday i'll do some of it on wednesday i'll do some of it on tuesday afterwards we all know that they'd end up the day before it's due in being like oh brother i need to do all this math (laughs) because that's what normal human beings are like so the big push was to get them to stick to their timetables a lot of them have done so and what that means is not only have we tried to do parents a favor by having something really clear and specific for them to be doing at specific times. But also it's, it's, it should be more helpful to the students in terms of organizing their day and their time. That's the idea, at least. I, and again, it sounds super smart. And I've, I've heard this from, from, from a couple of people. And I guess that the challenge is, if we go back to this, um, this issue of accessing technology, let's say you want your kids to access a Seneca lesson or do the retrieval roulette, and there's just the one computer in the household, or they've got to go out to the shop because they've got to do it for the, the parents. What, what, where's the, is the flexibility built in there? And, and how does that work? <laughs> I mean, there has to be flexibility because you're not there. Yes. I, I can't I can't give them a tete attention for saying, well, actually, you skipped out halfway through period four because you need to get milk for the family. Um, but we've been realistic. So we didn't put we didn't we put light pressure on the students. It was a case of, you know, you'll really suffer in the long term if you don't take this time seriously and you don't do the work. And if you just sit and doss around and do TikTok or Fortnite, people still do Fortnite, you know, whatever it is. If you just sit and don't do anything, then you're going to have real problems um, in the long term. But equally, we've decided we're not going to be calling anyone up and giving them a really hard time at the fact that they're not learning because we don't know what it's like for them at home. Mm. Um, so, you, ha- you know, you have to be realistic. That's what we said to them. That's what we want them to do. Uh, but we're realistic about whether or not, ha- you know, how many of them can meet it. To be sure, there are some of them who can meet it and aren't meeting it. And those students might have to. We might have to have a word with them. Um, but other than that, it's just you, you just got to be realistic. Um, and there was something else I wanted to say, but I forgot what it was. Um, oh, yeah, we do. We, I think a lot of schools are doing things like laptop loan schemes and stuff yes. like that. So we've got one of those. I've got no idea how it runs. It's being run by our VP, Yanina, who's amazing. So I assume it's all going absolutely fine. <laughs> uh, no, you just got to be realistic. 
sorry, I had a bit of a, bit of a cough there. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right, Adam. Um, how are you? Um, kind of what well, one one thing that's coming through as I'm doing this series and speaking to teachers is that maintaining kind of this personal interaction with students is is a, is a real challenge, but something that's seen as really important. And and on two fronts, really. So one in terms of kind of feedback in terms of their learning and, and guiding them on the right path and so on, but also just on that human level of maintaining relationships and social contact and so on. Um, are you doing anything to address that issue or is, is that just something that's just impractical? No, no, I don't think it's impractical. It depends on your team and how much time they have. Um, so I think I'm not a form tutor because I'm head of department, um, but all of our form tutors are kind of slowly working through the kids in their group. Um, just giving them a call, checking in, seeing how they're getting on, that kind of thing. Um, I think our high concern units are being contacted by heads of year. Um, and, like, you know, it, it's important to think about the bell curve as well, that at the end of it, you've got, you know, there's not going to be a school in the country where the pupil premium kids aren't getting phone calls, where the kids mm-hmm. who are in care aren't getting phone calls, where the kids who have got parents who are, who are on there, who are, Kids who are young carers or who've got parents who are sick aren't going to be getting phone calls. You know, that, that's not that's not going to be news to anybody. You've then right at the other end got kids who are just brilliant and just absolutely fine. They're probably not going to be getting phone calls. Uh, and I think that might be uh, a shame. I think probably it would be nice for them to get a phone call from somebody now and again. Uh, and then you've got like the bulk of kids who are in the middle who... A little phone call of a kid who's, you know, I, I guess if I were a student, the kind of circumstances that I would be in that, you know, happy, stable, normal home, but finding things difficult because mm. stuck indoors and having to only socially interact with with parents or a parent and siblings or a sibling. Like my daughter, who I said this jokingly online, but I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried about it. Like the only person she the bulk of her social interaction at the moment is with me. Right. And I'm a narcissistic sociopath. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So so there's there's legitimate cause for concern there. And if she were older, I would want some like nice, kind, caring primary school teacher to be calling her and reminding her not to, you know, be slowly plotting the overthrow of the world. It's that kind of stuff. Um, So. It is important, I think, in my opinion, that they get called. And I think probably a lot of teachers want to be calling their kids. You know, I saw someone someone was bickering about this online. Um, so someone said they were planning on calling their kids or whatever. And someone else was, oh, you only need to phone them if they're sick or something like that. And, and I'm like, look, you know what? These kids, teachers will have been looking after them for any amount of time from one to seven years. You know, if you've got a kid who you've taught for four years, th- thick and thin, you know them so well, right? You are you are part of the team of people that cares for this child and ensures their healthy development as an adult. I, I don't think you'll find many teachers that don't want to be calling those students. The question then is time. Mm. When do you do that? Do you have the capacity to do that? Uh, and how often? What's the impact of doing something like that? Now, so we are incredibly realistic and if so, if we had a form tutor who was really struggling, you know, had a spouse who wasn't well and had kids at home and stuff and was like, look, I just I just can't do this. Then the response would be, OK, <laughs> that's absolutely fine. We will distribute the labor elsewhere. No problem, uh, because that's the kind of school that it is. What I worry about 
is um and i think i think part of this is in being in the twitter bubble it's easy to think that things are getting better in terms of workloads but you know so so marking is slowly on the decline lesson plans slowly on the decline that kind of thing graded observations slowly on the decline but they're still very present in a lot of schools and fundamentally this is the important point right if you are a senior leader who is giving your team unrealistic amounts of workload, Ofsted then turn around and say, you don't need to do any marking. You're going to say, okay, and you're going to move that workload elsewhere. Because mm. you're, you're the same person. You're not suddenly going to be a paragon of virtue fighting for the workload of your poor, oppressed, proletariat <laughs> underlings. Like that, you're, you're not, you're not going to turn around and just magically become a new person. You're the same person, right? So the same expectations are going to be there. And you hear tales of things that people are being asked to do, which are frankly ludicrous. People being observed in online lessons. Wow. You know, what madness is this? But equally, asking anyone to stick to any kind of timetable and expecting that to happen. If someone said, you know, if, if Chris, my boss, said to me, you know what, you actually need to teach three lessons a day live. You know, I wouldn't be handing in my notice but I wouldn't be far off that because I can't do that. I'd, I'd, I'd be saying, okay, well, what I'm going to do then is I'm going to have to sit my daughter in front of the TV all day and so that I can do this work. And frankly, that's not a decision that I'm, that is particularly palatable to me. So, so we've tried as hard as we can to be realistic. And if every time I've asked someone to do something, it's always been a case of, if you can't do this, just let me know it's not a problem. I will do it. It's not an issue or it won't get done and we'll, we will, we will survive, you know? So, so without that kind of pragmatism, it doesn't, nothing makes sense. And, and I think that the final addition to that is something that I've learned this year. This year I've worked harder than I did last year. Last year I was coasting. I was taking things really easy. I've been at school for a long time. Everything was all good. This year I've had to work a lot harder, but I've not minded because all the work has been purposeful. And that's really important as well. That If I'd said to my team, I want you to do X, Y, or Z, and they didn't buy in, and they thought, you know what, actually, this is not a good use of our time. You know, if I was making them develop resources for the kids to do at home, for example, and they're thinking to themselves, well, the kids just aren't going to do it. Then even though they might do it, they're doing it without particularly goodwill. And for their long-term mental and professional health, as it were, that's not going to be a good thing. So the trick is to be both realistic and purposeful, to find things that um, people can achieve, to work around them when they can't achieve it, and make sure the things that they can achieve are things that are useful. Like if our kids take the retrieval roulette seriously, the, you know, kids who sit down every day and do 10 questions from a retrieval roulette between now and the summer are going to be very, very strong scientists come the end of this, no doubt, no doubt. So it's purposeful and it's realistic and it's realistic for the team to set it. And we set it once a week. So each each of us takes a year group. So we just set it centrally for the entire year group and it's done. It takes half, not even half an hour. Right. You just set it on the Friday. It's the work. To, the work is to be done Monday to next Friday. And then that's it. Right. That's simple. It's pragmatic and it's purposeful. 
So do you, again, do you just, just to clarify this, Adam, and this is, this is absolutely fascinating, this. Um, so in terms of kind of assessing and feedback of the work itself, is, is there any of that going on? Is that what a phone call would be for? Or do you have any kind of online system? Does that happen through Seneca? Or is, is there anything that teachers are doing directly with the kids that they teach to give them some assessment or, or, or kind of personalized feedback, if that makes sense? So again, I don't know what goes on in other departments in my school, right? Mm -hmm. But because I, I don't know how you'd be able to do what, what we do in like English or history or whatever. Mm -hmm. But Seneca gives instant feedback. As in, if there's a question and you get it wrong, it tells you you're wrong, right? So part part of the bulk of teachers' feedback is telling kids when they're wrong. <laughs> yes, I know it's not yes. particularly fashion close, almost there. Try a bit harder. <laughs> no, I mean the bulk of a teacher's job is to tell a kid when they're right, tell a kid when they're wrong, and Seneca does that just fine. Um, in terms of the retrieval relay, it's a bit harder. Um, we have. Uh, sorry, and also Seneca has a tracking program in it, so you can see how much time they've spent, blah, blah, blah. And then I think probably starting Easter, we'll start thinking about how to chase up students who really aren't doing any work and we think could be doing some work. But again, that will be sensible, realistic, pragmatic and purposeful. Um, in terms of other stuff, we've said to the students that you are more than welcome to send us work for us to look at. You know, we put the option there because... What I, what I don't want is for kids to be sending pictures of work that I can't read, yes. that is flipped by 90 degrees and I can't work out <laughs> how to turn it around, that, that kind of stuff. Or someone sent me like a GIF flicking through their exercise book. Well, this is great and helpful, <laughs> I'm sure, but you know, it, it's, just, it's just another layer of technical stuff that they're not used to. So we have said to them, you know, take a picture of work and send it to us if you want. Um, none of my students have sent me anything, um, but I do know that some of them, well, I do know that a lot of them have been working really hard. They just haven't sent me that work. Uh, we could always, you know, I provide them with answers as well. So in the videos, I've given them questions, but I've given them answers, which, again, gives them very quick feedback about whether or not they were right. Uh, and then I think, like, with my year 10 class, I might decide as a case of going above and beyond expectations to try and implement something else. But it depends on me and it depends on whether or not I have the time and ability to do that. And how are you, just on a practical level, um, Adam, how are you kind of connecting with the kids? Let's say for you, for example, your year 10, you want to tell them about a video that you've recorded that you want them to watch. Is that email? Is it text? Uh, we use show, show My, my homework. homework. Show My Homework. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Fantastic. Yeah, which, which, is now, which is now, I think, holding strong. The first day was a bit wobbly, like Hegarty was. <laughs> um, but I think now it's, it's been absolutely fine for the last you know, seven or eight days. Got it. Fantastic. And um, well, to kind of summarise stuff, um, what would you say is working well about all of this, Adam, if anything? Uh, ask me again in September. <laughs> no, it's a bit, but, but, but uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bit trite but, and, you know, tongue in cheek, but it's also important. It's like it's a, it's a performance learning thing, right? If you, mm. go to a, you know, go to a teacher after a lesson and say, you know, how do you think that lesson went? The answer is, uh, I'll let you know in a couple of weeks. Because, you know, anyone can just get your kids to do performance in the course of a lesson and make out like they've learned or been engaged and have great proxies for learning and all of that stuff. It's a much harder game to do things in the long term. Initial indications are positive. We've had a ton of really positive emails from parents. All of those are proxies. Does that mean the long term strategy is 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 a good one and going to work? Well, all we can do is rely on kind of sound principles, which are making things simple relying on the culture that you've already established. 
And is would the answer be the same for what's not working so well, or do you have a sense of? No, I think what, I think what's not working is probably easier to do, uh, because so it's difficult to say whether or not learning has happened. It's pretty easy to say if learning hasn't happened. Yes. Right. So if if uh, if a teacher says they're going to teach a lesson about atoms and then never mentions the word atom once <laughs> and teaches instead about cells, then they've not learned about atoms, right? That's that's pretty easy to tell. So it's it can be quite easy to spot a negative. Um, what things have definitely not worked so far? Um, well, I guess as it depends on what you it depends on what you were aiming for. If if your goal was 100% of students completing 100% of all the Seneca work to a good standard, then that's not been met. And just 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 on that, Adam, as a head of department, are you overseeing other teachers, how their kids are getting on? How do your responsibilities as a head of department play out in terms of what kids in other classes are doing throughout this time period? Um, it's a good question. I mean, most of most of my time is spent um, panicking <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in uh, real awareness of the fact that this is, you know, all of this like. It, however it's done it's not it's going to be bad right these are all non these are all solutions to a massive problem yes uh, which are going to get nowhere near achieving what we can do in an actual class and i don't know if you saw um uh doug lamov's blog that he post posted yesterday or the day before about um how and it was it was he was riffing off a carl hendrick tweet about how this interregnum, great word, interregnum, far from um, kind of encouraging teachers to see a new way of teaching and to be really interested and excited by this, it's just going to drive us back into the classroom <laughs> yes. and realise you know, just how important it is to be in a classroom with students doing expert practice. Um, so, you know, whatever you do, it's going to be rubbish. It's just varying shades of rubbish. Um, you know, it might be rubbish that helps them a bit. But it's ultimately you've still got four or five months of time that they're not in school. Um, I can't remember what you originally asked. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. As, oh, no, sorry, as head of department, yeah. Sorry, yeah, sorry. yeah. As yeah. head of department, uh, what am I keeping? What am I keeping track of beyond sure. panicking? Sure. Um, so each teacher has a year group. Um, so, for example, my colleague Andre, who's first year, teach first. He, he's great and he's working really hard, um, but he also has a little kid at home. So he sets all the year eight work every Friday. Um, and because he's setting it through Seneca, he can analyze which kids have been doing it, which kids haven't been doing it. Uh, we've, it's only been two weeks, so I've not done any formal monitoring yet because I don't, again, I part, you know, if I, if I start calling people up and demanding data and things like that, that I don't think that's responsible leadership. I think after Easter, I'll start saying, OK, can you send me the Excel spreadsheet, have a look at all of the spreadsheets of all of the year groups and then think about what we can do going forwards. But in terms of accountability for making sure they've set the homework, I just assume they've done it. Mm. Uh, I don't I don't need to check that. Got it. Got it. And um, I know we're only two weeks into this, um, Adam, now, but have you changed anything? Um, uh, no. No, we're, we're sticking with the plan. Got it. And just seeing how it evolves. I like, I think, I think that's sensible. I think, I think we, we did a lot of feedback to senior leadership uh, in the last couple of days. They've said to us they're going to have a, uh, like a big, 
um, powwow over the Easter break. I think there's that. Yeah, we've actually got a head of department meeting scheduled tomorrow via Zoom, which, again, is it's it's not optional. But if you can't go, you can't go. Mm. Um, and it's the only one we've done. And it probably will be the only one that we do. I'll uh, probably be one a month or every six weeks or something for half an hour. Uh, and then they'll tell us more and we'll decide what we're going to do going forwards. But again, I think the broad principle will just be sensible, realistic uh, and purposeful. Got it. Got it. And um, do, do you have a sense for how your students are finding this experience? Yeah. So I checked in with with some of mine. Um, broadly, they're OK. Uh, they're a bit bored. Um, but, you know, I, I imagine they're probably finding it similar to me. Um yeah, I mean, the, the toughest kids I've not called because the heads of year have done that. And, you know, we don't want millions of people giving them phone calls all day because that is probably going to be counterproductive, especially if they, yeah, some of them are probably going to be having phone calls from other services as well. You know, so the last thing you need is your science teacher calling you up as well to check in on how you're doing. Um, so I haven't checked in with any of my toughest students, but with, with the ones that I have checked in, with, they're doing OK. They're bored. Um Tell me this. They tell me they're staying home, that kind of thing. Um, I think I was I was really, really worried uh, before we broke up about because I was hearing rumors about kids who were just like, you know, they're just going to go hang out with their mates in the park and stuff. Mm. And a lot of them didn't really they weren't really like. Um, uh, what's the word? Cognizant, I don't know, conscious of, of the actual danger that's involved. So every student I saw. On the last, I, 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 I amalgamated classes so I could speak to more of them. Um, and so like with my year 10s, for example, who I was really, really worried about. I was really worried that they weren't taking it seriously. Um, I amalgamated my two classes together because I wanted to talk to all of them. We spent 50 minutes talking about the importance of staying safe, staying home. Um, and, and, you know, kids were asking me questions. I was like, you know what, actually, if they hadn't asked me this then they would have just gone ahead. You know, one of my kids was like, you know, she lives at home with her mum and her nan and normally she goes to the library to work. Like, is it okay if she keeps going to the library to work? And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. Because if you go to the library, you're increasing your risk of catching the virus and you'll be fine. You might not even notice, but you you could pass that on to your nan. And that could be really bad. And I spoke to them about, you know, my grandma who's, you know, my grandma's, I don't know, about 90 or something, and she's in her care home, and she's locked down, and she's been in lockdown for three, for, for two weeks before everyone else was in lockdown already. And I'm like, look, you know, if the lockdown holds, she'll be safe. But if you go out and you get coronavirus from one of your mates, and you pass it on to one of your mates who takes it home, and their parent is the person who cares for my grandma, and they pass it on to my grandma, my grandma will die. Mm. You know, it's not, so you you won't you might not even realize if you've got it, but you'll be busy passing it to all of your mates and busy causing serious harm to real people uh, in this country. So I was really worried about that. And for me, to be honest, that's the most important thing that they're just sort of staying home, staying safe, keeping sane. And and I think part of the whole work thing and, and something that I only just briefly mentioned earlier is that a lot of the time we talk about well, what's best for their learning, what we're going to do when they come back and all of that and all of that. But, but actually, I think part of the part of giving them work to do at home is about keeping them sane mm. um, that you know if they just do sit around not doing anything all day some of the kids will be absolutely fine and i dare say teenage adam will have been more than happy sitting around gaming for days on end <laughs> but a lot of our students especially now you know 
attitudes to school have changed and I think there is data that bears this out as well but I personally find that every year my students seem to me to be more conscientious and I don't know if you if you feel the same Craig but you've been teaching longer than I have um, but they, it does seem that students are more serious and and to be a kid at home stuck where you know maybe you don't have your cons- access to the console because you've got two siblings maybe you can't watch tv the whole time and even if you can like a sort of intellectual torpor sets in and you feel like you're not achieving anything and and things start to fray a bit and it's important that in terms of the work we're setting not only are we being realistic about what they can actually learn but part of it is about maintaining some structure to their life and some sense of 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 completion uh, and the sense that competence or mastery brings with um you know of a, a, a feeling self-fulfilled or actualized in a way that you won't if you just sit and vegetate all day every day for weeks on end so i think that's an important part of the conversation that needs to be uh, played out as well i like that keep them safe keep them sane that's very good very good that I'm, I, I love that um just three final questions to to, to wrap things up um, <laughs> i can half predict your answer to this but you may surprise me um, is there anything about this situation if we call it distance teaching or remote learning or whatever label we put on it is there anything about it that you prefer to in the classroom teaching Oh, what was your prediction there, Greg? I was thinking, <laughs> I would have put, I mean, I'm, t- I'm a tight northerner, but I would have happily put a tenner on no. For, for yeah, you, you would have made a tenner off that. The odds <laughs> wouldn't have been great. But you would have made I mean, look, I, I, I really, 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 really don't like this. Um, I think, uh, I, you know, I, I, I like the videos. It's something that I've always wanted to do. And now I have a bit of time. It's nice to be able to do them. But I'm finding it very, very frustrating um, because <clears throat> we as a family made a decision to prioritize my wife's work and to prioritize me looking after our daughter. And that was the right thing to do. But it's damn hard for me to sit there and do arts and crafts when I could be writing key stage three schemes of work. Mm, yes. and, 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 and everything in me says you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. And, you know, Chris, my head, he called me last week. He called everyone because he's a good guy. He just called to check in, see how I was getting on. Um, and I said exactly the same. He said, you're doing the right thing. You're doing what's right for you and your family. But it, it's very, very frustrating. Um, and, and no, I don't like it. I don't like not seeing my students. I don't like, as time has gone on, um, <laughs> so everyone's thinking teach like it, right? So teach like a champion, teach like nobody's watching or... Uh, teach simply that kind of thing I teach like a megalomaniac <laughs> right so I like being in control I'm in control of my class I'm in control of their learning I'm in control of the information flow I'm in control of what work they're doing when they're doing it how they're doing it. I'm in control of what feedback they're getting when they're getting it all of that because I've thought about it and 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 I think I'm a better judge of all of that stuff than either the students or random circumstance so it's really hard for me I you know and, and I I say it bullishly and but I imagine there are plenty of t- teachers who are just like that as well it's really hard for me to be spending my time um in that frustration um of knowing all the stuff that i could be doing and i'm not doing even though it's the right thing to not be doing it yeah 
I'm, do you know what, Adam? You've, you've vocalized a thought that's been running through my head uh, for a while. And I, I don't know if you feel this as well, but I, I feel like a bad father as well sometimes as well, because I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm spending hours and hours and hours playing with my, my little boy. And I am, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm enjoying it. Also, don't yeah. get me wrong. It's bloody hard and, and frustrating yeah. sometimes because I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a worse father well, I'm worse at being a father than I am at being a maths teacher or writing resources. Like, I'm, I'm good at the latter. I'm pretty crap at, at the former. Yeah. And I know I should be kind of embracing this as a, a bit of a kind of once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I'm essentially put in this position where I have to spend time with my son and I should be kind of making the best of it. And this is, I know people are going to go mad at me, me saying this, but I find it incredibly hard because a lot of the time I'm thinking I could be doing a lot of other stuff here and I, I feel kind of constrained and tied into this this kind of situation that i'm in and it's it's a constant feeling of guilt i have as well adam i don't know if you experience that as as well oh a hundred every feeling that you have i have the same and and some people might have a go at you um Mm. but there'll be you know the the curtain twitchers who are always more saintly with other people's business than with their own i mean you know there's a reason i pay somebody else to look after her every day (laughs) You know, I if if I thought that I could generate a Nobel Prize winner by staying at home with her all day, then I would do so. <laughs> like I I can't, you know, and she's three. It's 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 difficult to keep up with her, you know. Yes. And she wants to do stuff that is that is mind numbing. Um, yes. And then it's not even like you know. So sometimes she'll just she'll play by herself for for sometimes just for an hour for an hour and a half. But even within that, she'll come and pester me every five or ten minutes. You know, mm. you know, she's lost this or she's lost that or where's the other or she wants me to hold a plate or something. <laughs> yeah. And 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 yeah, I do. I, I do sometimes. Well, I don't. You know, I do feel like a rubbish dad that I'm not doing a good job, but I'm trying really hard. I'm doing what I can um, within the constraints of knowing that it's not something that particularly comes naturally to me. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, I for one am pleased you've, you've said that, Adam. We'll, we'll wait to see the reaction there. We'll probably have the NSPCC on, on the phone or something I, like that. I, <laughs> I imagine the NSPCC at the moment have bigger fish to fry. <laughs> Let's hope so. Let's hope so. And <laughs> um, final, final two questions, Adam. Do you think this experience will change your classroom teaching in any way? Mine, no. No, no. <laughs> no I, it, it, the, only, the only area in which it might is I might use the videos that I've made as supplementary homework. Mm. which obviously is not in the classroom, but it still counts. Um, and the other way is um, if I read some great CPD. Yes. Yeah. That, and, yeah, that, that, that is a positive. Yeah. Which, which, um, which I've not really had time to do. No. <laughs> but if I do get the time and I read something, like, oh, right, that's a great idea. That's going to change my teaching. Then, yeah. <laughs> but but I, don't think, I don't think anything from this experience is going to make me into a better classroom teacher. Quite the opposite. I'm going to be out of practice. Yes. I'm going to I'm going to atrophy. I'm going to get back in September, and um, you know, um, you know, it's like where like you come back after like a week's break after half term. You're like, oh, have I forgotten all their names? <laughs> they get in front of you like, no, no, I do know their names. I do know their names. Like, I'm going to come back in September. And I'm going to have forgotten everything I know about teaching. So, yeah, yeah, that's uh, another another concern. I'm going to have kids who don't know how to learn and teachers who don't know how to. Teach. <laughs> 
<laughs> and a final question for you, Adam. And as part of this answer, if you don't mind, unless it's kind of confidential, I'd love you to um, share some of the, the key principles that your, your head teacher um, shared with, with you as a, a staff. You've, you've already mentioned one of them about not introducing anything new. But I'm wondering what would be your key pieces of advice or tips for, for all listeners who are in the same situation? Um, as in a tip that the head gave to us what well what will if we start with that what what were the what were the key principles you you meant you mentioned the the idea of not introducing anything new not not getting your kids on some new program yeah. that they hadn't done um yeah that they hadn't met already well what else what else did he say to you is there kind of these baseline principles to to then work from okay i'm going to be really really cheeky and i'm actually going to read something he wrote down i've not told him i'm doing this oh this ideal perfect hang on a sec i'm just going to try and find it uh yeah yeah so this was he sent this on the 23rd of march okay so what was it a couple of weeks ago um all staff as i said your health and well-being is my priority with that in mind i challenge you to a keep in touch with friends and extended family remotely as much as possible b take up a hobby or activity or make something new c read a non-fiction and fiction d watch an interesting ted talk E, complete some form of physical activity each day. F, write a poem or song about TTA ready for your next thought for the day. And he then goes on and says, this is the baseline expectations. It says, you know, when possible, plan for next week's lessons, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, that's that's the kind of person he is. And I think that I think that if if a head teacher who hasn't been great and hasn't been building up a culture said stuff like that, You'd be like, okay, well, you just copy and pasted that from F that or the key or whatever. Um, but because the point is that, to be honest, he wouldn't have even needed to say that. Because if you had have said to me, you know, what does Chris want from the staff? Even if I've never spoken to him about it, I'd be like, he wants us to be happy and sane and healthy and to do what we can for the children within reason. Fantastic. And, and and the point, but the point is he's built that culture. So when yes. he says it, it's real. Yes. And and this may be an impossible question to, to answer, Adam, and apologies for springing this on you as the final question. But if, if we've got teachers listening here, and I know for a fact we will have, who aren't don't have such a supportive head teacher, who aren't in such a supportive environment as that, and yet find themselves under pressure, um, working from home, trying to juggle all this. They've got all these unre unrealistic expectations. Do you have any advice for them? Is, is anything more important than anything else? Is there anything you'd advise them to do or think about or prioritize? Does anything spring to mind there? I think I think I would love to be able to give people like a general tip which revolutionizes their life. Uh, I don't think such a tip is going to exist um you know there's all sorts of stuff floating around online you know set a time for going for your walk that kind of thing try and have a schedule where you can that stuff but like fundamentally my advice to people who are in environments like that if this is what it's like at a time where leaders should more than any time in the last 70 years be having as their first thought how am i going to protect everyone that I'm supposed to care for, which is the student and all the staff, if they can't think like that at this point when nothing is more important, they're never going to think like that. Unless someone really, really tells them. 
And the likelihood of someone really, really telling them and of that getting through is pretty low. And the only other option, I guess, is test jobs. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and I say it like, as I said with a few things in this, in this podcast, like slightly tongue in cheek, but also seriously, that I don't think teachers realize just what a difference moving school can make. And we tend to be, as, as, a, as a profession, we tend to be disposed towards the martyr. And whenever we think about leaving, we're like, oh, but it's not fair on my kids. What about my team? What about my colleagues? All of that, right? Number one is more important. Number one is more important for two reasons. Number one is more important in what, I guess, philosophers would call deontologically. Like, number one is more important, right? You are entitled in and of itself to be more interested in yourself and your family than anybody else as a as a just a philosophical absolute statement you are entitled to be that and number two in the utilitarian cell sense you're probably not doing as good a job for your colleagues for your students for your school if you're miserable and unhappy and if you move and you go somewhere where you are happy and someone takes your place who will be happy then you've made a massive gain both for the school that you've joined and the school that you've left yep it's it's, it's strong words adam and it but it again it's it, it's something that well it's one of those things isn't it you, you see on twitter all these kind of companies showing their true colors whether it's not paying staff or treating people badly and so on and so forth i, I get the feeling that schools will be a, a similar thing that the true colors of, of leaders slts school culture will come out in in the most trying of situations and yeah, yeah if, if, if you're on the fence about which way you go this might be just the uh, just the time to make that key decision. yeah I, I, I think also like don't, don't get me wrong you know i i am to an extent jaundiced and cynical and all of that but, you know, there are there are a lot, a lot of schools out there which are doing amazing, amazing things and people who work for them who are doing an amazing, amazing job. And you know what? Probably there are some senior leaders who just don't realize that they're being unrealistic. Hmm. Uh, and, and you know what? There probably are some out there who if you said to them, Dave or whoever, <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry, but I, I just can't handle it at the moment. And, and I'm trying, but there's stuff that I can't do. From this list of 10 things that you want me to do, I need you to take six away. And if they don't do that, screw it. Just don't do those six. See if they fire you. I bet they don't. But if they're the, you know, the majority of people who heard something like that would say, actually, you know what? That is reasonable. It's probably time for me to maybe be a bit more supportive than directive. Uh, and I think... I wonder if there are people in circumstances out there who are worried. And I know it's difficult. It's not easy to turn around to your boss and say something like that. But, you know, maybe, maybe it might, might be the right time. I don't know. Fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, Adam, as I mentioned at the start, this is this is a teaser this for when you when you're back on the show properly. So whenever this is all over and you've regained the ability to teach, whenever that may be, we'll get you back on for the full uh, two to three hour epic. But this no, we've, been... we've already been through this. I'm never going to regain the ability to teach. I've left it all <laughs> in months. 
<laughs> well, I mean, that could be a podcast series in itself. You uh, you build him back up to try and get back to where where you once were. But um, this, has been, uh, this has been this has been this has been absolutely fascinating, and I know loads of teachers will find this incredibly valuable. So, Adam Boxer, thank you so much for your time today. Cheers, Craig. 